Good morning. It's great to see you here today. Um, as I was preparing for this service, I recalled uh, some experience I had in Williston, North Dakota, um, before I moved back to Brookings here. The local newspaper, which I don't read local newspapers much, but I noticed this about the local newspaper, the Williston Herald in uh, Williston, North Dakota, was that at the f- top of the paper, there's a phrase. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, I don't know if you know your Bible very well, but that's a direct quote of Proverbs 29.18 from the King James Version of the Bible, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I found it interesting that at the front of a secular newspaper, right on the top cover, was basically a, a Bible quote. And that is a super true statement. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no sense of the revelation of God and what life is really about, it says, as in Proverbs 29:18, and using the NIV version of the Bible, New International Version of the Bible, people throw off restraint. They don't know what they're living for. Uh, they usually begin to live for the wrong priorities. You see, vision is just vital. It's just vital uh, to experience life as it's meant to be experienced. Amen? So what I want to do with you this morning is just talk about our vision statement that we recite every Sunday. It's, 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 it's a three-level vision statement, but I, I believe it supersedes a church. I, I think it's just a vision for how the people of God ought to be doing life in general. And so we're going to talk on vision for a few moments today. Level number one, I'm standing on that right now, so pretend this is level number one here, okay, is encounter grace. In, encounter grace. The first step that God has for people is to encounter his grace made available through the Lord Jesus. Often we'll hear the term grace used interchangeably with terms like forgiveness and mercy. That's a mistake. They don't mean the same thing. When I use the word grace, I want you to understand it comes from the Greek word charis, and it means the favorable disposition of God towards sinners on account of the work that Jesus did on the cross. It's God's unearned, unmerited favor shown towards you and I. It's God's empowerment to come to him by faith, and then to live in him by faith. So when you hear the word grace, you need to think God's favor, God's empowerment. Now, when you hear the word forgiveness, it means not getting what you deserve, right? When you hear the word mercy, it means also not getting what you deserve. Um, Forgiveness means you forget it too, all right? So anyway, you you get what I'm saying here? I'm not going to go into those words that much because they don't matter. Uh, They didn't. They matter. They don't matter to today's message. How's that? The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus came to this world bringing grace and truth. John is a unique gospel account of the life of Jesus Christ. You have the first three uh, books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These gospel accounts are called the synoptic gospels because they basically give the same account of Jesus over and over again from different perspectives and filling in some of the, the gaps uh, from one another. So they're like the same account of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, they begin with the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They begin with Jesus in the cradle, like we're going to look at here in our Advent series, all right? They begin with Jesus being baptized. But the gospel of John begins with the divinity of Jesus Christ. And it begins more with the vision that God has for people. And so I want to read uh, from the gospel of John this morning uh, for you, verses 10 through 18. Listen to this. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And you can read verse 18 for yourself there. Um, At any rate, Jesus comes full of grace and truth. We're focusing on grace this morning. And the reason grace is in our vision statement, encounter grace, grow in grace, give grace, is because we want to always emphasize that it's of God. It's powered by God. It's God's favor towards his people. Uh, and so whenever we think of the vision God has for us, we got to have in that vision the understanding that God is behind what's happening in our lives. But let me just say this. When it says Jesus came full of grace and truth, he didn't come just sharing a few little neat nifty sayings, some truth bearing. He was the embodiment of grace and truth. He was the incarnation of truth. You getting what I'm saying here? He's not just a little bit of truth and a little bit of grace. He embodies these key things. It is who he is, and it's, and it, and it's a revelation of his nature. He is grace and truth. And right away in, in, in John's gospel, we see uh, revealed to us how to become a child of God, how to receive them this extension of the favor of God, this extension of the grace of God, how to become a child of God. It's by believing in and receiving Jesus. Amen? When I say amen, you should respond back amen. Amen? It's by receiving and believing in Jesus Christ. Now, believing in is a lot more than believing some facts about him. It's a lot more than having some mental, you know, mental acknowledgement. Yeah, Jesus is this cool guy. No, believing in means you believe in him. You surrender to him. You've given your life to him. You believe in him, amen? And you receive him. Acts 10 43 articulates that we need to believe in Jesus Christ. It says, All the prophets testified about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So by believing in and receiving Jesus, your sins are taken away, you become a child of God, and you're right here on level one, amen, in the vision that God has for your life. You've moved from death to life. You're a new creation, You've moved from a life devoid of God to a life full of God and centered on God. Receiving and believing, those terms, they imply surrender on our part. They imply a life centered on Christ. There's this initial encounter that's supposed to take place like this, but listen, it's never to go away. Throughout your Christian experience, Jesus should get what? Bigger and bigger and bigger. More relevant and more relevant and more relevant, right? It's not a once and done deal. It's a continuation of interaction with God. There's supposed to be this encounter of the power and the favor of God, the grace of God. Now hear this, please. For weeks now in a Remnant series, we we talked about the culture that we find ourselves in. We live in a very, um, what could be called, eclectic culture. It's a mixture of a whole bunch of stuff. And 
this is attempted to be done with Jesus. In the times we find ourselves in, you can hear a lot of people saying, especially those who really don't know Jesus, well, don't get too fanatical about the Lord Jesus. You know, Sure, he's a good guy, but there's a lot of good guys. He's just one of many ways to spirituality and to heaven. He's, he's not the only way to God. And there's an attempt to mix Jesus with a little new age, right? A little, you know, motivational speaking. You can become a better person. Uh, there's a little bit of, of a tendency to, to, to mix him with some Hinduism and some other things. You name the ingredient. You know, you have a concoction of confusion. Amen? Jesus is primary. Level one is getting that. Jesus is primary. You know, culture's fine with God talk. But as soon as we start hearing Jesus' name mentioned, everybody gets really uncomfortable because he's the great divide. In Acts 15, we're told some were teaching that um, the saved brothers also had to be circumcised according to Moses' law. They're adding on to the simple message of believe in and receive by saying, you know, in order for you to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. Now, if you're a guy, that's not good news, amen, guys? The cults of elders and apostles in Jerusalem dived into the matter, and they came to this conclusion in Acts chapter 15, verse 11. We believe, that, uh, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Did you hear that? And then the apostle Paul, like he always does, makes these kind of teachings crystal clear. He says over in Acts, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. That's why we have grace in our vision statement. God even gives us the ability to be saved. Amen? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. None of it works lest anybody else should boast. It is so clear from the Bible that we are saved by grace through faith. And by believing in and receiving Jesus Christ, we enter into this wonderful experience of salvation. Grace means God does something in us that we cannot do in ourselves. We cannot save ourselves from sin. Amen? Weak, but I'll take it. Jesus did that for us. He has saved us from our sins. We need to step into the vision he has for our lives to become a new creation in him and live life utterly differently. In our initial reading from the Gospel of John this morning, it was interesting that Jesus' coming in grace and truth was contrasted with Moses' coming uh, with the law. Now, I want to talk to you about the law for a few moments because this this something we've got to understand. You can be tripped up on the law really quickly. You can have a misstep if you're not careful. You see, the misstep is this. People often place this first step on rules. They think, i got to be okay. i got to follow some rules to be okay with God. See, people miss the first step. They miss this encounter in grace. And, and they literally kind of, you ever twist an ankle? Did anybody twist an ankle in here? Gimps you up a little bit. You can twist your ankle. You can, when you think Christianity is about rules. Oftentimes, unintentionally, Christianity is presented as rules. It's oftentimes unintentional, but that's what people run into. It could trip you up. It can just gimp you right up if you don't know uh, the, the accurate story that it's all about believing in and receiving Jesus Christ. As a young man, when I was first married to Vicki, that's my first wife, and she's my wife now too. She's also my trophy wife. <laughs> 
Anyway, <laughs> we, we were going to church in college, and we were going to try out this new church. And so um, I, I dropped her off at the door. It, it was kind of crowded, and I was trying to be a gentleman and all that kind of stuff. I said, you go in the door, and she said, I'm, uh, and get us a spot to sit. So she says, I'm heading to the balcony, and I'll save us a spot to sit up in the balcony. So you got to understand how I was dressed that day to, to get some of the story. So I, I'm a college student. I have long hair. Dave Hopewell long. No man bun, because that was weird back then. <laughs> Just long hair. I had my brushed maroon denim jeans on. Woo, I was styling. And, and a shirt to go along with that, that looked, I'm sure, equally as dazzling. And I had my army boots on. Um, they were really, yeah, I polished them up. They looked good. And so I, I, I drop her off. I, I park the car. I go in to go up and sit with her, and I run into an usher. And I said, I'm trying to go upstairs, sit with my wife. He said, I'm sorry, it's full. I said, yeah, but she's already up there. She's saving me a spot. I'm sorry, sir, it's full. And he just wouldn't let me pass. And I thought, huh. So I went and sat in the car and waited for her to come out of church, you know, because they wouldn't let me in the church. And uh, we never went back to that church. Um, would I go back today? Maybe. You know, things change. But I didn't measure up to some code, I think, or something. I, I'm not sure what the problem was. Um, well, I think I know, but I'm not going to talk about it. But I ran in right into an ankle buster there. For, for someone, if they didn't know Jesus Christ, that would have been an ankle buster, amen? They might have just said, I'm walking away from this. This stuff is about rules, and I don't evidently measure up. We've got to talk about what's the last purpose that's revealed uh, uh, to us through Moses and, and through the New Testament. Well, the last purpose is, is talked about in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. I'm going to read from the King James Version of the Bible. Here's what it says. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now, in Jesus' day, the schoolmaster didn't teach. The schoolmaster's job was to grab the student, take them from the residence, and escort them to the place of learning, to synagogue or whatever. That was the purpose of the schoolmaster in Jesus' day. And we have to understand, what's one of the main purposes of the law? The law is to escort us from here to there. From, it's to escort us from our place of residence, we're not doing so well, we're sinful people, it reveals that to us, and it escorts us to the foot of Jesus Christ so that we receive him as our Savior. And then we enter into God's school of learning, and then the law is put into our hearts, and we begin to love the law of God, but it doesn't save us, it's what? An escort, okay? Are you seeing this? If you think the law is about making you okay with God, you're going to trip right up. You're going to Twist an ankle, it's going to hang you up. And a lot of people take that misstep. So at Grace Point, we have to be really, really careful not to present the gospel as a bunch of laws. Amen? So, purpose of law is the schoolmaster bring you to Jesus so you can be saved uh, by grace through faith. So as a church, I pray we really get this. As a church, I pray we have a heart for people to have an encounter with the grace of God like many of us have experienced. So we must reflect God's heart for people here. We must embrace new ones. We must be about sharing Jesus with people freely. Now, as I mentioned, encountering grace is not a once-and-done deal. There's supposed to be this ongoing encounter of God's enablement, of his power, of his favor. You know, we're supposed to be 
constantly in awe of his greatness and sufficiency, right? In a service like this, I'm praying you have some aha moments. You go, oh, that's just cool, and that's ministering to my heart. I pray just this is this constant, ongoing kind of thing in you where you're just experiencing God in this real palpable, tangible way. You know, I remember as a student, I, I took a lot of math because I was a science nut, you know, and I remember one time thinking, wow, this math is a math of order. Order. God is a God of order. It makes sense that we should be able to take his creation and put computations to it because after all, he's a design God, he's a God on purpose. He does things in an orderly manner. And I remember sitting there in that math class thinking and wondering about God and having an aha moment. Amen? I'm encountering grace. You know what? When you look out at the stars, at some point, you should be thinking, God put the stars in the heavens with the span of his hand. He spread out the heavens. And there should be an aha moment. I mean, in northern Minnesota, you can actually see the stars. And at night I'll go out in the dock in the cabin we have up there, and I'll look out and I go, oh, God, you spread out the heavens with the span of your hand. You're a creative God. Amen? See, I'm having church right now, right? This is what this is about. This is encountering God's grace. And that's what we want to invite people into as a church. Now let's step up to level two. This is growing grace. This is growing grace. Unintentionally, or I think happens frequently, is that we come to God and we understand I cannot save myself and there's this moment of revelation that I'm a sinner, I need God to save me, and we cast ourselves into the bosom of Jesus Christ, so to speak. But then once saved, you know what we do oftentimes? We default right back to our human ways and we try really hard. And really, when I talk about grow in grace, it's an understanding that you grow in dependency on God. That's how you grow in him. You abide in him more and you're more dependent on him. What's supposed to transpire is this increasing dependence on God and increasing expectation that he will do the divine in my life. Romans 12 verses 1 through 2 sum this up well for us. Therefore I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Imagine with me for a moment, because that's what I think a lot of people do. They get here and they just want to stay here on level one. That's kind of sad. Because this is like the beginning of the journey. This is just the beginning of what God has for your life. It's not a once-and-done deal with God when it comes to encountering him, right? It's supposed to be this constant growing in grace. This constant understanding of who he is, where he, Jesus just looms bigger and bigger and bigger in your life, and you're more and more dependent on him than ever. The Hebrew writer lamented in Hebrews chapter 5 that so many of his readers were still here in level 1, where they were still grappling with the milk of the word, and they weren't ready to be teachers like they ought to have been by that point in their life. They were supposed to move beyond the elementary. You know, the elementary, a truth like the accuracy and the authority of God's word, that it's true and it's accurate, that God is creator, that there's a heaven and a hell, and all that kind of, those are like the elementary things. You're just supposed to get that. But now up here in level two, what we begin to really grapple with is this question, how do I really live my life for you, Jesus? Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 13 become 
the reality that we begin to grapple with. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with trembling and fear. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Unfortunately, this level has been reduced too frequently to information gathering. As if information makes us holy. It does not. Information, the Bible is a tool, not the end. Did you hear what I just said? The Bible's a tool to know Jesus better and to look more like Jesus Christ, but it is not the end. Now, I'm a big fan of knowing your Bible. I think you ought to read your Bible. But the idea of level two is that you're not just studying and gathering information. You're becoming like Jesus. You're looking like Jesus. And the goal of Bible, then, is to get to that end. If my wife wrote me a lovely letter, and all I did was read the letter and said, that's the end, I would miss something important. It's about relationship with her and communication with her and being with her, amen? It's not about the letter. And we Christians sometimes have elevated the Bible to a place that I don't want to ding the Bible because I so believe in reading the Bible, but you get it. It is not the goal. The goal is Jesus and being conformed to Jesus and being transformed and looking like Jesus in the Bible is a tool for that. In fact, I, I listened to a podcast by Mark Batterson recently in which he talked about how to grow in dependency on God. In other words, how to grow in grace. We would use that terminology and I want to just talk about some of the ways he listed it. I think they're worth a mention here. There's dozens of these. But the first one is the Bible. The Bible is God's communication to us. It contains invaluable instruction on how to think and live differently. It's just not the end. It's supposed to bring us to knowing God better and living a life that bears his image. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us this. Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant is equipped for good works. What's the goal? So that you become a servant equipped for good works. Here's a second way that that means that we grow in grace, the Holy Spirit. You can't begin to be who God intends you to be without the power of the person of the Holy Spirit at work in your heart. Ask for that. Ask to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ask for God's Spirit to immerse you with the thoughts and ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask for it. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, we're told that at the day of the Lord, God would pour out a Spirit. And all people, sons and daughters would prophesy, old men would dream dreams, young men would see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit, saith the Lord. And that pouring out of his spirit really began to take place at Pentecost, amen? And listen, one of the ways that we grow in grace is to begin to hear the voice of the person of the Holy Spirit. He will put dreams in you. He'll put visions in you. He will grace you with wisdom and insight. Growing in grace means I understand my dependence upon the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Here's another way we can grow in grace. Right desires that flow from delight. 
Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, when we just begin to delight ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we get to trust in him, he changes our heart. And pretty soon he puts his desires on our heart. Therefore, he will give us the desires of our heart. Why? Because he's putting them on our heart. And it's a wonderful experience of grace, of God's empowerment, of his favor upon you. So part of the way you grow in grace is as you delight in God, and he, he imparts to you his desires. And then he says, act on those desires, because they're of me. Let me give you one other way. I could go over doing this for a long time, but just another way. Tro uh, troubles have focus is another way that we grow in grace. Just troubles have focus. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18 tell us this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. A lot of you are too young to understand that you're wasting away yet. Some of you who are older, you're going to nod your head. Eh, I know what wasting away feels like. I creak when I get up in the morning. Joints are hurting. If you're 30 and you think you creak, you have no idea yet. The blessings and troubles are they fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. They focus us. This is God's grace. We don't look at it that way, but it is because it focuses us on what is important. This is a way that God renews our minds and our attitudes and transforms us. Some of you went to laugh our way to a better marriage, right? Some of you did that. And I was sad to hear some of this news. Vicki was sharing this with me. Mark Gunger noted that his wife took a little bit of a turn for the worse and they've sent her home now into hospice care. And he said as he was talking with his wife, a tear rolled down her cheek. And he said, well, this is what we've been longing for, preparing for. I'm not quoting him quite right, but you're getting, he said, to see Jesus face to face. I mean, it's sad, but that's true, right? And that's where he's using a trouble to focus. That's the means of God's grace. Are you getting this? God's grace and the way we grow in his grace is multifaceted. And so when we say growing in God is about learning some, just some things from the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. But that's not the end. There's a lot other ways, too, that God grows us in grace, and the Bible's incredibly important. Now, I realized something over all my many years of ministry, that when it comes to growing in grace, we've got to understand we are people in training. We are people in training. You've got to watch the trap of thinking it's about trying harder. When the Bible says make every effort, I think it's really saying make every effort to train. Training is way, way different than trying. You get what I'm saying? You can try all you want to run a marathon. If you haven't trained for it, you won't run it. I don't care how hard you try. And many people think of Christianity, I just try harder. No, train more. You've got to become one that has a training mindset. That's how you do tomorrow what you cannot do today. You train for it, amen? And I've seen this reality in my own life, physically speaking. About a year ago now, it was about a year ago exactly, uh, I had the fun joy of going to a Vera Heart Hospital and having three stents put in. I didn't know that was going to happen at all. I didn't see that thing coming. Then I began the joyous experience a rehabilitation, which I didn't know you had to do that. So I would go to the local hospital here three times a week, 
And I would walk 10 minutes. Then we'd rest and have our drink. Then I'd ride a recumbent bike for 10 minutes, rest and have our drink. Then I would do some little pedal machine thing and rest and have my drink. I thought, I'm pathetic. And I remember thinking, I am going to train over this next year so I can do tomorrow what I cannot do today. And I begin to have aspirations and desires and goals. And so I reordered my diet and I reordered my exercise routine. So this last week, I'm in Cedar Falls visiting one of our kids. And I will, I'll run. So I run three days. I run four miles, four and a half miles, four miles. A couple of weeks ago, I ran six miles just because I wanted to see if I could run six miles. I know that's silly, but I did that. I could never have done that a year later if I hadn't trained for the last year. You getting what I'm saying? Training allows you to do tomorrow what you cannot do today. Same thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. We have to go into a training mindset. We have to look at all these things that God has given us and begin to use them to train ourselves so we can do tomorrow what we cannot do today. Right, uh, right before I moved here from, from New Hope in, in 2010, we did a, a series of messages at New Hope called Soul Revolution. And one of the exercises I challenge people to, and I'm kind of challenging you to do that this morning, is to take your watch, if you still have a watch, use your phone. Your phone will work too. Use your iPhone, okay? I'm updating the message. But that we put watches on that would beep every hour. And it, at, when they beep, you would stop whatever you're doing and you'd connect with God. Man, was that annoying. It beeped at the most inconvenient times. Beep! Go, oh. Then the beep, oh, I forgot about you, God, entirely. How can I do that? I'm a pastor. Didn't even think about your last hour. And it was, what, 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 what it's doing was what training you to be connected to God, to think about God, and to have God involved throughout your day. Use some kind of tool. Train. Set aside time. Train. Use some of these tools I talked about with you today and begin to ask the Holy Spirit, fill me today. Make that a prayer. Read some scripture and then say, today I want to live it out. Train. Begin to have a training mentality, not a trying hard mentality. Are you getting what I'm saying here? And see if you don't do tomorrow what you can't do today. Well, now we're ready to move up to level three. This is uh, the rarefied air level. This is, we're beyond the base camp now, and we're going to the summit of the mountain. Very few people go here. This is becoming a grace giver. This is all about grace givers, Okay. The body of Jesus exists not only for the benefits of those inside, but also for the benefit of those outside the church. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 tells us this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Get this. I am looking now, right now, I am looking at God's grace. Hear me? Are you hearing me? I am looking at God's grace. It is you. If you are a born-again person in Jesus Christ, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then he has given you gifts of grace. That's what this word gifts here means in 1 Peter. It's a gift of grace that you are to use wherever you find yourself. And when you do so, in serving Jesus Christ for his glory, you bring the grace of God to bear on that situation. Amen? You are part of God's plan for distributing his grace in this world. So I'm looking at God's grace this morning. 
the deep life that so many desire is found here. It's found in this rarefied air place of serving, of learning to be a contributor, not a consumer. This is where you begin to really resonate with the heart of God as you minister in the name of Jesus Christ, relying on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're called, church, to adopt a serving, contributing mentality where we see that we're to bring the gifts that God has given us to bear on life wherever we find ourselves, okay? If you're an engineer, you do it there. If you're a teacher, you do it there. If you're, you know, on the school bus, you do it there. Wherever you are, you just, you do it. You become one who lives to focus on Jesus Christ and glorify his name using the gifts he's given you. Let, let me talk about how this works using our recent trunk or treat because I think this is clarifying. In times gone by, it's still the case today, when we look at something like Halloween, followers of Jesus Christ seem to be fairly divided on it. Some say you shouldn't celebrate it at all because it's an evil holiday. I kind of agree with that. How about you? We really shouldn't celebrate it as a holiday. But here's the typical approach, and I disagree with this totally. Bad, bad, bad Halloween. We're going to go over here, Christian community. We're going to put up our wall, and we're going to cloister together over here because that's bad. And... Know it though, we're kind of missing out on something here. I think our kids are missing out. So we're going to make a Christian version of that. And we're going to try to Christianize this day. Nah, and so that our kids don't, what, quote, miss out. Now, in days gone by, when the church was way more influential, that maybe was something that was tolerated because people would still eventually make their way to us. But as we talked about in this recent Remnant series, we no longer have a lot of influence in our culture. We're kind of been marginalized and sidelined. So when we do that, we are sidelining ourselves more. They have sidelined us. Now we are sidelining us on the sideline. So here's what we want to do. We want to be in the world, but not in the world. We want to serve. We want to use the grace that God has given us to serve the community we find ourselves in. So we're going to go smack dab over here in the middle of that thing. We're not celebrating it. We're using it as an opportunity to minister the aroma of Jesus Christ. Amen? So as we have trunk or treat, we got a whole bunch of people out there just serving Jesus, loving on a bunch of people. They don't know who they are because we are going to rarefied air. We are about contributing and serving. And trunk or treat provides that opportunity for us. Do you see the difference there? We're not celebrating it. We're using it as an opportunity. We're not cloistering away. We're being in the world, but not of the world. So as a church... Service must just be part of our DNA. This is rarefied air. Very few get here. Very few get to this place. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here we go. This is our vision. Counter grace. It's for everybody. Amen? It's God's vision that people are born again. And they have this continual awe of God, this continuing interaction where God gets bigger and bigger and more relevant and more relevant. Then we're to grow in grace. That means I, I get more and more dependent on God. The more I'm around God, I grow in that dependency. And I see it's about a renewed mind and a transformed spirit. I'm becoming tomorrow what I am not yet today. And then we get the rarefied error. This is about serving. This is about pouring your life out. This is about using the gifts that God has given you to bring God's grace to bear on the world around you. All three levels build on each other. All three levels interact. You never get away from all three of them, and they're incredibly important. So vision is vital. Amen? Vision is vital for us as people and as a church. Which step are you on? Let's pray. Lord God, I want to pray for each one here today that we would get this vision you have for us. 
of encountering grace and growing in grace and becoming uh, grace givers, Lord. I pray that if there be any here this morning that don't yet know you, Jesus, as their Savior, that this morning would be that day that they say, I believe in you and I receive you. Because, Jesus, you have come and you have brought the favor of God to ones who will believe in you and receive you. You have brought empowerment to such ones to become children of God. Not through anything we've done. It's all through you, Jesus. All we have to do is believe in it and receive it. And I pray someone do that this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would never be content with just being on level one as followers, but we would be level two, level three people. Growing in our dependency in you and, and serving you, Lord, and understanding this, this, this mixture of these three things and also how they build on each other. God, and I, I just pray that we become the people you want us to become. So we want to thank you, Lord, that you came basically being grace on top of grace. We just love you, Jesus. We worship you this morning. And I just pray that your, your, your Holy Spirit would be here in a tremendously real way in the lives of the people here this, this day. In your name, Jesus, and by your blood, I pray these things. And all God's people said,